Okay, if you have a Bible or New Testament, take it, open it up. Uh, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You'll see Corinthians has a 1 and a 2. We call it 2 Corinthians, not 2 Corinthians. I know where your mind is, and it shouldn't be there. <laughs> All right, put a marker right there. Put your bolt in there, and then go further to the back of your Bible to the, to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Father in heaven, oftentimes we recite Psalm 139. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And then when we delve into the sciences of who we are as people and how you've wired us and put us together, we run back to that passage. The fact that you know us full well and you know our personality and our days even before we're born. You, you know us. If ever there were a stance that we would love you and fear you and honor you with our lives. It's the fact that you know us so well and you put us together. You are the ultimate designer. And we worship you. We want to honor you with our lives because they come from you. But we admit uh, early and often we don't fully understand our own lives. Help us to get that insight today, we pray. And May your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, we pray in Christ's name. And the church says, amen. Amen. First Thessalonians 5, verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God himself, nobody else, may we know him as not only the, the God of the universe, but the God of peace, and may he sanctify. It's a word we don't use very often. It means to clean up, to mark as holy, and set aside as holy, okay, for specific use. That's what holy is. So may he set us apart as holy, and may he do that through and through, May he do that in our spirit, our soul, and our body. That's what God wants for you and me. He doesn't want just your spirit to arrive into heaven one day and your body be a mess on earth. He is concerned about the whole you. And we oftentimes call that holistic health care because it is. He cares about your soul, your emotions. We are complex beings and we don't get that. We're not always sure what is happening so there's this mind thing that happens and then we wonder i, I don't feel so good and i don't know if it's because it's i'm thinking thoughts i shouldn't be thinking or is there something else happening is there a pressure in life or am i sick is there just emotional stress is it a spiritual battle and i wondered about this and i thought you know what a, a sermon would be good because when you're a surgeon what's the answer cut it out right when you're a carpenter, what's the answer? Hammer harder, saw faster, right? And when you're a preacher, what's the answer? Preach another sermon. But I thought, you know what? That may not be a sermon that does the best on this. Maybe a discussion might be better. So I invited two very, very well-qualified Christ followers in personal faith to join me on the stage today. And they bring some valuable, not only education, but experience and some valuable understanding on this holistic body, soul, spirit 
kind of thing. So this morning I thought, well, I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to talk with them. This is, this is Helen Gant. Say hello, Helen. Helen's a graduate of the University of Maryland and uh, also has a, two master's degrees from National Lewis and from the Army War College. She's a licensed, a registered licensed nurse uh, with experience spanning psychiatry. I need to read this. There's so much of it. And it's really good. It, the experience uh, spans not only psychology, psychiatry, medical, surgical, operating room, intensive care, among other fields. Her career includes Perry Point Veterans Hospital, known for its mental health care of our, of our heroes, as well as work at Johns Hopkins Hospital and George Washington University Hospital. Sitting, yeah, sitting next to her is Bill Young. Say, yo, Bill. Yo, Bill. That's good. And um, we call him Bill, but he's really Dr. Bill. He's earned doctorate um, from the University of Maryland in, in uh, mental health. He's worked in psychiatric units and has been a counselor. He's taught psychology and neuropsychology, which I find to be another fascinating side science to the whole thing. Currently, he works as a school counselor. Now, all of that's good, but if their lives are a mess, it's not good. They happen to be uh, uh, long time married. They each have a spouse. Bill has a wife, Kathleen. Uh, Helen is married to Ken, uh, and they have children, and those children have children so they are not only married but they are parents and they have grandchildren would you join me in welcoming them to the stage i am so looking forward i want to get closer okay not that close okay i could be i could spend the day uh, just talking about this, so this is this is so fascinating. Um, it's a wonderful science. So I want to talk about uh, how holistically we are made, body, soul, and spirit. But I want to talk about today about when our mind gets in a fog, and you, you're not sure if you're driven a car and you get into a fog. You're not sure if you're going uphill or downhill, or if you're, the speed is right. It happens with life too, and and that's commonly called um, depression or I'm feeling low. Um, and that's an okay thing. I think we just need to kind of unpack that for a little bit. So um, talk to me, Helen. What are, what are some of the physical signs of depression? Okay, the, the physical signs of depression, uh, there are many and varied. But first, I just want to... There it goes. Thank you. Yep, come up right by me. Can you hear me now? Okay. Uh, I want to talk, uh, just give you a little bit of a brief introduction. Uh, depression is, is one of those illnesses that affects uh, approximately 40 million adults in the United States. Um, it is more than just having the blues or having a bad day. And a lot of people think that, okay, I'm depressed, I, I'm, I had a bad day, but that's, it's, it's much more than that. So if you're having the blues or just a bad day, that doesn't mean that you're necessarily depressed. Depression is a very chronic illness, a mental illness, and it is marked by things like uh, hopelessness, sadness, uh, irritability, um, frustration, and it's, it can really debilitate you 
and it can prevent you from doing your activities of daily living, normal activities like going to church, you know? So, and if you allow these symptoms to continue, it can lead to tragic suicide. So that's why it's so important for us to have these kinds of discussions mm -hmm. so that people will know, hey, you know, I might need help and we don't want people to be afraid to come to Bill and say, help me out, I got a problem here. So, uh, what, are, what are some of the signs, Bill, when, if you were to, someone to walk in your office and you, or if just walk up to you and say, I, I'm just feeling low, what are you looking for? Well, um, first of all, I'm looking for a lot of the symptoms that Helen mentioned, um, whether or not they can get out of bed in the morning, whether or not they are able to carry out daily routines, whether they're so depressed that they don't feel like doing anything, they don't have any motivation, those sorts of things. Um, whether they've backed off on activities in their lives, whether they're sleeping well, eating well. Uh, as you were mentioning, the holistic side, it, it affects more than just uh, our mood um, with the chemistry and the attitude and even pursuing the Lord sometimes. Is, um, we, we can do it with depression. We can be depressed in our pursuit of God, I think. And, and something else that we need to talk about too, a lot of times with these physical symptoms that people have, you know, they may have uh, stomach aches, they may have headaches, and uh, those simple kinds of illnesses, uh, people feel like, okay, I'm gonna go to the doctor and get this fixed. But when you're having physical symptoms like a stomach ache and like a headache, and if you are, your doctor is seeing you and he prescribes medication for you, mm -hmm. and if those symptoms don't go away, that's a sign that they'll be depressed because, you know, you got a medical doctor and then you have a specialist like Bill. And Bill is one of those people who focuses in on those particular areas to help you get through the part that's not physical. You know, it's more than physical. So what's the chemistry? What's happening with a person who's chronically or long-term low? What's actually happening inside their body? Well, there's a lot of things going on in the brain. Um, with depression, it depends on the severity of the depression. Someone who's been depressed a long, there are, there are actually people who, whose body, whose chemistry is made for depression um, that easily become depressed. Usually that's accompanied with anxiety. Someone, it doesn't matter how much therapy they can get, the chemistry, the serotonin, the norepinephrine. Let, let me stop you right there, because I, I, I don't want to miss this, because you could be predisposed to diabetes Exactly. Or, or low blood sugar or something else. And that's a medical issue, right? What I'm hearing you say is you could be predisposed to a low level of serotonin, which means you're a candidate for depression. Right. And, and just like the, um, diabetics need insulin to process sugar, mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes someone who's biologically depressed like that will need the serotonin to even out that chemistry in the brain and allow them to overcome some of those feelings that come along with the chemistry. Um, that's, that's for someone who's born that way. There, there is that issue. But there are also people who have been through traumatic or long-standing difficult lives that create or change the chemistry within our brains so that now it's not working the way it should and the medication can help restabilize that sometimes. So sometimes we can get on medication, get things straight, and come back off the medication. 
Other times, if, if the chemistry has changed too much, the medication might need to be, you know, permanent. Mm -hmm. um, it all depends, and, and at that point, you're following a psychiatrist. I don't do medications. Yeah. Um, and maybe we need to back away too. I'm, I'm just thinking as the middle person to the audience, someone in the audience that goes, what's a serotonin? It, it, How much time do I have? Yeah. <laughs> um, I love to talk about the brain. Uh, the neurons in the brain communicate one to the next with neurotransmitters. Serotonin is one of those transmitters. And one neuron will dump the transmitter in to a gap between that and the next, causing the next one to fire. So in other words, it, it is the spark that keeps the brain working right. And if there's not enough, um, there are certain things that happen. It will mess up sleep and potentially lead to depression. Anxiety is very connected with, with serotonin as well. There's dozens of neurotransmitters. That's one that they've isolated that has to do a lot with depression. But you could start your life with a, a normal level of serotonin and then undergoes a, a long-term stress, loses spouse, lose a baby, uh, have job changes, I mean, all the stress points to your life, okay? What does that do to the serotonin? Well, there is depletion of the serotonin. There, there's two sides of it. Um, and unfortunately, women, I'm sorry for this, but uh, oftentimes women have more difficulty with it because during the menstrual cycle, the serotonin there's about there's less serotonin for women and during the menstrual cycle the serotonin becomes less effective and and that's that the whole PMS syndrome has to do with that there's not enough serotonin to keep them up through that whole cycle and it drops off for a period and then it comes back up to a level that's functional so um, there is depletion through um, the way the the neurons are working and it, it, it gets depleted. There's the normal uh, cycles for women where it, it becomes less effective or there's less of it. Um, and then there are people who never had enough to begin with. Okay, I, I'm good with that. You, you wanna to add to that? Uh, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty good with that, but when he was talking about that, Hold on my when he was, I'm sorry, yes, I'm, sorry. I'm, good, I'm good with that. But when uh, Dr. Bill was talking about that, uh, other things started going on in my head because I've had a lot of patients that where they would like forget to eat mm -hmm. or they would overeat and then they would do the binge eating things or they would eat until they would get literally sick and then they would go to this hopelessness stage where um, it would they had no enthusiasm and then their futures were affected because they were so hopeless. How does that relate to the brain? and the thinking and the serotonin and all of that. Unfortunately, I'm not sure our science has got caught up with all of how that relates. Um, uh, eating obviously affects how the brain is working. I mean, um, actually they've said that 30 to 40% of the glucose, the sugar that our body uses, is used by the brain. Um, so the brain is using all kinds of energy. So eating, not eating right is going to deplete that energy level and then the brain has to work harder and, and pull that energy from elsewhere if, in order to keep functioning. Or it just functions less. There's, there's that side of it. Um, binge eating, um, there's a whole side to brain chemistry and addiction and eating where we're going to flood certain chemicals, the pleasure centers of the brain. Um, that are going to, it's going to fake the brain out to make us think we feel good, 
with that chemistry. But then when it depletes, when it goes back to normal, we're still without the chemistry we need to be happy and not be depressed. So it's, it's trying to fake the brain, really, is what that, those addictive cycles are doing, the binges. So. Okay, so I'll go back to the question from like seven minutes ago. What's really what happening inside of our heads? What's happening when you talked about serotonin? So then what happens to the rest of the body? You want to chase that for a bit? Well, um, without, without the chemistry, obviously there's a lot of things that are going on. It's going to affect... Um, when the brain's trying to make up for it, then, then the appetite, then our energy level, uh, then our activity level, and our whole mood is all going to be affected. That's, they're all going to be depressed. <laughs> it's not going to work as well. Um, in fact, when I talk about working with someone who's depressed, the first thing I target are three physical aspects. Um, you, in order to, to get past this depression and help your body help itself, you need to eat right and stop that binge eating. Um, you know, not, none of, all those comfort foods that make us feel good, you need to stop eating those because they, they, they do that faking the brain out and the, it starts the chemical roller coaster. So eating healthy, eating three meals a day or four, depending, you know, four smaller meals and not eating a lot of sweets and carbohydrates and um, all those things that make us feel really good temporarily. Um, the second aspect is, is sleep. We have a sleep cycle. We're geared to sleep a certain, our whole body has a rhythm so that during those times we normally sleep, the blood pressure goes down, the heart rate goes down, the body does a lot of recovery during that time. And then during the times we're waking, they all come back up to a waking state. Well, if you go to bed at the same time every night and get up at the same time every morning and you get enough sleep, you're really helping the body to do all of that healing it, and if you're doing those things irregularly, then you're, you're, the body can't quite figure out when to be up and when to be down, and so the brain is not going to recover as well either. So eating right, sleeping regularly, and then third, exercising. Exercising kind of greases the skids, gets all those chemicals moving and flowing at a, at a really nice rate to help the body, again, recover and clean out all of the negative things. Imagine when you're working with some of America's heroes, these are young men and women who grew up all over the country, uh, normal bodies, then hit trauma, huge amounts of trauma. Did you see what, talk to me about that, because you, you did a fair amount of hospital work, didn't you? Yes, uh, actually, actually I did. And right now is, the period that we're in right now is very traumatic for mm -hmm our veterans uh, who are coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. Yep. And the reason for that is because they have such traumatic illnesses and injuries, and they're gonna need care for the rest of their lives. Many times people forget about caregivers. Yep. The caregivers are suffering just as much as the service members sure. are, are having a hard time. We do have a lot of programs now that we didn't have back during the Vietnam era to help them. But they have um, robotics now, and believe it or not, um, because they have a change in body image, and their changes in body image, image now are much more pronounced than during the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. When you see a lot of them on TV even, you can see things missing, and you can see the really bad changes that they have. Mm -hmm. They are going through a lot of psychiatric problems mm -hmm. in learning to right. 
reacclimate right. to, to, to society. So yes, um, I, I, in order to deal with this, we have special programs for family members as well as the service members. It's yeah. yeah. a side piece, but I, I'm just thinking even, that may not be you, but you may be working with people because the, the country's gonna be having an influx of those. So the chances of us working with people that have been to that side of the world is getting higher and higher. So it, it, it puts a stressor on the, the rest of the families and corporate structure and all? Absolutely. Uh, as a matter of fact, they need a special attention because many of our service members are able to hold down jobs. And they, so many of them have post-traumatic stress. And they have something called TBI, which, which is uh, traumatic brain injuries. Employers are afraid of them. They don't want to hire them because they don't understand the symptoms that they're having. And um, employers are not being educated that, these, that our service members have a brain that is working and they can still do the job. You just have to look at their symptoms and determine where you want to put them. Yeah. For example, if you have someone with PTSD, that's the post-traumatic stress disorder, I, as an employer, would put them in an office where they're isolated because they, they can't, you can't sneak up on them because of what they've been through over there. Sure. You know, you hear a noise, they may duck under or something like that, but I would put them in an isolated area and let them work so that if someone is walking in the door, they can see that person coming and it won't disturb them. Sure. Many of them, the problems are so severe that they don't, they don't go to the grocery store to shop until late at night. Mm -hmm. That way they don't have to encounter people and they don't have to be suspicious. You know, they can go and do it in peace. So my advice to employers is to try to understand the illness. Somebody with a TBI may still be able to work, but they cannot get that work done that's due yesterday. Mm -hmm. They need jobs where they'll have plenty of time to get the work done. Mm -hmm. So we really need to understand that aspect. Okay. Thank you for letting me just chase that off to the side, because that's gonna affect a, a fair number of us at some point or another, um, because we've all been tapped from that with the ongoing uh, issues of, of just uh, US security and world security itself. So let me just move, let me jump to the next section just about talking therapy and um, um, what should we be addressing with people or what should we be addressing with each other even in family situations that help us talk through how we're feeling. Uh, our kids, uh, let me just move to a school environment. Uh, what should we be talking about? And, and I'm looking at you, Helen, oh, okay. not Bill. <laughs> Don't scoot back to him. I'm here. You've been handing him off. Oh, he's getting, yeah. So talk to me. What, were, what would be some of your concerns for a school, a family with school-aged children and the effect of depression? What's happening sociologically with kids? Okay. Many times we don't want to accept the fact that teenagers especially and children are having issues just like adults. The suicide rates are going up now in schools. Guidance counselors are really busy because we have teenagers who are dealing with, and children who are dealing with things like bullying. They're dealing with broken relationships and they're not handling these things very well. These red flags are going up to parents. Many of the symptoms that we already talked about, teenagers are having it and parents are not seeing it. 
And some of the common things to look for with teenagers are things like uh, they're not going out with their friends, they're not participating in their activities, they're missing curfews, their grades are going down, um, they're getting in trouble with the law, they're abusing drugs and alcohol. If they ever mention the term suicide, you ha have to pay attention. You don't ignore that because there is help available. And this is what happens with parents. They'll think um, they're just having a bad day. Uh, this person is just being a teenager. Well, they're not being a teenager. These things we need to start investigating and dig deeper and get them some help. Because before you know it, a parent will walk in and their kid is, has done something and taken their lives. And their lives have not even started yet. You got a 13 or, or you got a senior or junior in high school and they have these thoughts of suicide. They haven't learned to live. And we gotta teach them and get them some help when we see them going downhill. The signs are there. We just kind of ignore it because we're so busy doing day-to-day -day activities. Add to that, Bill. Would you hear on the front line there? Well, first of all, I've worked in a middle school for the last 10 years, I think. and. Um, the biggest problem with, with kids and depression is that all of the hormones, all of the chemistry is changing at that age anyway. So uh, middle school kids are on an emotional roller coaster from day to day. You just don't know what you're going to get. One day they're, they're up and they're happy and excited. The next day, the next minute sometimes they're, they're down and sad and crying and and to some degree, you just got to ride that roller coaster out. By the time they get to high school, though, the problem becomes they all look somewhat depressed when they're dealing with their parents. They all want to shut themselves in their room. They don't want to communicate with you. They, they seem like they're resist, not, not always, obviously, but, but that's just kind of part of what a lot of high schoolers do. They don't want to tell their parents what's going on anymore. And so sorting out whether or not this is just normal adolescent behavior or something that's more concerning can be, can be tricky. Um, it can be difficult. Oftentimes, I get calls for doing counseling with uh, high school kids, and my first referral would be to a youth group or to a coach or to Fellowship of Christian Athletes or something like that because what the teenager really needs is someone that's invested in their lives on a regular basis, that, that sees their up, sees their down, can walk with them in their lives. That's the person the teenager is going to talk to. You bring them in to see me once a week in counseling, possibly dragging them into the room. You know, I'm just another agent of their parents. They may not participate. They may not cooperate with that. It really takes getting involved with their lives and knowing them really well. I'm not exactly sure where I want to go with this because I, I'm just thinking if you could advise p parents. I mean, you're, you've already done that a little bit. Already, but you're going to take them seriously. You're going to get them involved other places. And I want to wrap that back with the, the, the third component, which is some kind of safety net outside of the family itself, family units, but then church, youth group, that kind of thing. Uh, those things actually give to us a broader platform, a community of faith for growing. I, I think I'm really supportive of that. But what would you say to a parent who has a, a struggling middle school daughter or what, I mean, I, I know you've already halfway addressed that, but Well, I, again, we I would separate middle school from high school a little bit. I, I really like the middle school because I think kids are still reachable. 
And in fact, in middle school, they often still want that relationship with the parents. They want to be able to talk with them. By the time they get to high school, their, their peers are much more important than their parents are going to listen to them more often. Um, so uh, I would say for the parents to try and get involved with them as well. And then second, try and work with the school counselor. Sometimes the, <clears throat> the counselors in the schools I'm at are Typically, I'll go and say, I heard something from a parent about this child, and I say, oh, yeah, I know that child. I've, been, I've seen them. You know, I'll pull them out. I'll see, you know, talk to them, see what I can do. The school counselors can be a great resource for the middle school. High school is another thing. Most of those counselors do less counseling and more scheduling. So when they get to high school, um, there may be a time when you do need to pursue a professional if, if the depression is like Helen was saying, if they're, they're withdrawing from everything and, and just um, putting a, a cocoon around them that no one can break into, they're not having friends and things right. like that. Okay. Right. Anything you want to add there? No, I, 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 totally, I totally agree with that. Okay. I, and I think there's a key piece too, uh, and you may want to address this, maybe we already have, but of, of having a support system around. So don't isolate your family or, or the child, or yourself. Don't isolate yourself. Find a way to get, get in a small group, um, attend church regularly, meet some people, go to lunch after church. Sometimes I, I think, frankly, oh, um, here we go. Here's the sermon. Acts chapter 2, you know, there's a breaking of bread and prayers fellowship. There's a ministry of the word. Preachers always talk about the ministry of the word. But the fellowship is a key part of what the church does. So what happens in here with an open Bible is really important, but what happens in the lobby is really important. And so we, we may say, well, that's not that important. I, I really think it is. And I think if you go to lunch together for a non-sugared, low-carb, <laughs> whatever that would be, right? <laughs> Which I don't even know where that is. But anyway, I don't know. <laughs> But I think there's a, a key piece to that that's really important for you to know, I'm not alone in this. You know, um, you know one of the best things for me is to realize I'm not alone in this. It, uh, it, sure, it's tough, or you know, I'm having uh, some challenges in life. Not that I take pleasure in someone else's pain, but to know they survived it was, is really key. You're, you're right, and the, and the good thing, if you can imagine a good thing, a good thing about depression is knowing that you can get help. You know, you're, you're, there, there are people out there that could help you and work you through your problems. And one more thing, when we were talking about uh, teenagers, uh, sometimes we as parents will try to be a friend instead of a parent to a teenager. And so, uh, a friend, okay, and so friends, are different than being parents. And that old-fashioned rule about being a parent versus being a friend is different. When they are in school, breaking up with boyfriends and girlfriends, and, and you know what, how they are. They fall in love and they think, oh, wow, everything's so wonderful. And then when a relationship ends, the broken hearts from teenage relationships are really heavy. I'll use that word for lack of a better word. They are like, kind of like out of it. And so we, we kind of can't be a friend at that point. We have got to be a parent and, and you know, bring in all of those parenting skills and, and just let them know um, 
don't be ashamed to ask for help because boys and men can be very macho when it comes to needing help with mental problems. And I would just encourage them that this is nothing to be ashamed of. It's happened to all of us. We've all been in love, we've all had broken hearts, and we will get through it. It's not the end of the world. You're gonna meet somebody else. Well, you had mentioned earlier the mind, body, and spirit. I think when you're talking about the community groups and the connections, I think that's addressing our soul. When, when we're emotionally connected with people and we, we feel supported, we know them, we know we can count on them, we know we can share things with them, I think that's part of the soul. That's, that's taking care of our soul. Um, you had asked earlier about some of the, the mental side of it. We all have uh, irrational beliefs or mistaken beliefs. <laughs> I coach volleyball, and one of the things I tell parents when they come to me about their child, we're all <clears throat> somewhat delusional about our kids' abilities. Okay, I was about my daughter's volleyball skills when she was in school, and so we 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 can create beliefs in our head based on our experience that may not be accurate, and sometimes that's where we go in therapy, is challenging those, making sure that our thinking is straight. But the emotional side of it, I, I always say the support in the community, the gaining um, support from people that you know and that care about you and that you can, sharing your caring and loving with other people also helps with your soul care. But um, I, I think God, I, I often tell uh, people that are depressed or overcoming issues is that God wants to work in your life daily. And the important thing is to look for it. Look and find where God's trying to touch you today. Um, and whenever I've said that and people actually do it, it, it's proved to be true. God wants to do something in your life. He knows us, as you mentioned earlier. He knows our mind, our hearts, our souls. He knows when we're depressed. And I think the more depressed we are or the more difficult our situation is, the more he's trying to reach in and touch us. And so that's the soul side of therapy that, that I try to target. So. And, and also there's a trust piece. Trust is, is huge in this whole process. You know, we, ha uh, we have to trust in God. We also have to learn how to trust in each other. The people that we know have our best interest in heart at heart, we have to we have to trust, and and the ch teens and adults need to learn who to trust and be able to recognize when God is talking to you, when you're trusting in Him. This is good. I, w I want to just go through a practice with you that I practice pretty much every morning. It's just daily quiet time with the Lord, and I don't want to preach this sermon. Thank you for not amening. I just, but the word of God, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, 12. The word of God is active, living, another translation, and powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. By the way, a two-edged sword in, in Roman Empire days, when they shortened their swords, they lengthened their boundaries, is the phrase. They shortened the sword and then sharpened it on the other side, and it became a lethal weapon. It, was, it would be uh, uh, a high-tech, it would be the highest-tech piece they had at the time. It is a double-edged sword, and it is able to discern between soul and spirit. You ever had that moment where you don't know, 
is this a soul thing or a spirit thing? Is this just me not going to bed on time or is there something absolutely wrong? And I'm so glad that the word of God knows the difference when we don't. It's able to discern what's going on inside of our hearts. So with that in mind, I want to go to 2 Corinthians 1, and I want to just read it with a little bit of commentary, and then we're going to pray. As I do, I'm going to recommend a, a book called Happiness is a Choice um, by Minerth and Meyer, and another one by Henry Brandt uh, uh, from a previous generation called Soul Prescription. It just goes through some really great uh, mental health exercises. Both, uh, both books are written by Christian authors, really good books. Uh, get Out of That Pit by Beth Moore is another good one that comes to mind as well. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 3 reads, I'm just going to read with a little bit of commentary, then we're going to pray. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. Get that, Dave. My God is the God of compassion. He really cares about me. And he's out, really. He wants to be known as the God of all comfort. He knows that about you. Insert your name there. You care about me, uh, Father, as, as telling me that you are the God of comfort. You know me. Verse 4. Who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves we receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so we also share comfort abounds through Christ. You comfort us in all of our troubles, not, not some of our troubles, all of our troubles, and not if I have trouble, but in any of my trouble. It's as if he knows I'm going to have trouble. And it's comfort that we get not from anywhere else. And it's good to take care of your body, and it's good to have friends, and it's good to have education on this, but there's a comfort that only God can give to you because he's the only one who can clean your conscience when you think about it. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, we, we know what it's like, and we will never understand fully what Christ went through for us. But he was comforted, we'll be comforted as well. Verse 6. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. In, in other words, I, I'm wondering if God may run you and me through circumstances because we didn't know it, but we were trusting God, but we were also trusting in our job. We were trusting God, but our kids were pretty good. I mean, we were pretty stoked about how great our kids were, and that became an idol. We're trusting God, but we're on top of the world right now. You know, the, the 401k is producing, the job is in, moving toward the upper right, hand side of the graph uh, we're trusting God but and maybe the marriage is at an all-time high at least we think it is and then when those things crash 
then we realize we're trusting God and our marriage. We're trusting God and our kids or and our job and anything else. And sometimes I believe God wants to strip those away so we'll know that if we have Jesus, Jesus plus nothing is enough. Is enough. So even in our distress, there's comfort and salvation. And if we're comforted, it's for your comfort to produce. And maybe that's what God's doing. He's producing something like patient endurance in us. Verse 7. And our hope for you is firm. That we know that just as you share in our suffering, so you share in our comfort. In other words, this is common. We kind of share this together. It's part of the community of life. And I don't think less or think differently because someone's gone through it at the time. It's okay. It's not God's out to get them or that, you know, I don't have those kind of problems. No, we'll all eventually have those kind of problems. And maybe that's humbling for the moment and exalting of the Lord. We don't want you to be uninformed brothers. Uh, Warren Wiersbe, the pastor of Moody Church, used to call it, that's a whole group of people he would call them, the uninformed brothers. It's kind of a denomination out there. The uninformed, it's a sixth sense of humor, I know, but the uninformed brothers and sisters about the troubles we experienced in, in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. We despaired of life itself. I, I don't want to read past that too quickly. Moses complained to God. Moses, who gave us the Ten Commandments. Elijah the prophet said, God, just kill me. Esther was double-minded about her decisions in life. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, said, the pressure was so great, we despaired of life itself. I'm telling you that to say this. If you have been through depression, or you're in it now, or you have family member that is, you are not alone. We sang it a little bit ago. You are not alone alone it has happened to some of the greatest godly people on the face of the earth and why this side of heaven we don't fully understand but he says we despaired of life itself indeed we felt we had received the sentence of death but this happened why that we might not rely on our on ourselves but on god on God who raises the dead. And if there were ever an overwhelming or an incredibly negative day in the life of the human race, it would be Easter week when Jesus died upon the cross, if it were ever something awful, and yet God uses that for good. So we don't rely on ourselves, but upon God who raises the dead. If he can do that, he can handle our circumstances. He delivered us from such deadly peril that uh, we will be delivered again uh, for us again. On him we've set our hope and will continue to deliver us. So our hope is in the Lord, not in the new job, not in the new spouse, not in a new place to live. Uh, it Something churning around. No, it won't be in any place but in the Lord. As you help us by your prayers, that will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor God has granted us in answer to the prayers of many. I'll tell you this, um, friends, I, 
on my, you know, the sports analogy is, is probably the best. We enjoy and we celebrate a win when you play sports, but we really learn when we lose. You walk into the locker room and you get a lecture from the coach, you take your shower and you go back through every play or every moment and wonder what you would have done differently. You really learn when you lose. You just celebrate when you win. So you don't really gain as much when you win. I find this, that when I'm at the lowest points, I find God to be, verse 11, not only gracious, but I find him to be super gracious towards me. I learn a whole lot, not only about myself, but about the wonderful grace of God who can raise the dead, and so he will take care of me. He is the God of compassion. Get this. He is the God of all comfort. So, Father in heaven, we thank you for these moments with you in personal therapy, just with your word, hearing how wonderfully we're made. We not only celebrate that, but we, we recognize, Lord, apart from you, we can do nothing. And your grace is wonderful and it is sufficient. May we be the people, we pray, who cling well to you and find even in our dark moments that you are there and you are faithful. You are right in all your ways and good in all your ways, but you're good towards us. We thank you for the kind and gentle reminder that you care not only for our spirit, but also our soul. And not just our soul and spirit, but also our body. We thank you. May we know you this week, we pray, as the God of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our trouble. And we pray this in the name of the one, Christ our Savior, who came back from the dead. And the church says, amen? Amen. Would you join me in thanking Helen and Bill? God bless you.